You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Good morning. I know what you're thinking. Uh Uh-oh, somebody new. I'm one of you. I'm just a church member, so I appreciate it if you'd uh, be praying for me this morning. My wife and I live in Thomasville, and we come here to serve. Uh, We've been here about seven years, and about halfway through that time, we thought, aren't we supposed to put down roots where we live? And so we tried church in Thomasville, and pretty quickly the Lord told us, no, I called you to go to City Church. So we came back, um, and we're here to serve. The best example I can think of is something that just happened a couple of weeks ago. One of the FSU students that's here uh, has a passion for international students. She goes down every Friday to, to an international coffee hour on campus and just to meet and to get a chance to share with international students. So a year ago, the holiday time, she asked if we could host a dinner, and she invited six international students. And it was a great chance to share an American home and some time uh, telling them a little bit about Jesus. To do it again this year, she started to inviting people uh, and more people. And then she asked her parents, could they host it at their house? We had 40 international students that came for a dinner And to be honest, to hear about Christ, to hear about what Christmas really was, that it wasn't what they see, it wasn't Santa Claus and and presents, but it was God's gift to mankind. And after they heard the Christmas story, what it really is, one of these students said to me, that was a great story. And I said, have you heard it before? And he said, oh yeah, I heard it last week. I went to another Christmas party and I heard about Jesus for the very first time. They come here to study and we have a chance to share Christ with them. If they were to go home to their country as a Christian, imagine the influence that they could have. It's exciting to see what what God can do. So I want to start this morning by sharing an encounter that I had with Scripture. Years ago, I was kind of looking for a a life verse, and I settled on Galatians 2.20. The life I have in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I recited it, not just every day, but multiple times every day. And it gave me incredible encouragement. Well, probably more than a year later, in my quiet time, I ended up in Galatians, and I came across my verse. And as I read it, maybe it's on screen, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I had memorized it wrong. I couldn't believe it. I had left out probably the most difficult part of that verse. It was Paul describing how he submitted, how he sacrificed his life, similar to Christ being crucified, completely submitting to God. And I guess psychologically, I, I just couldn't, couldn't deal with that. In my mind, it was kind of Jesus plus me. And I was always part of that equation. But the way Paul explained it was there had to be complete submission, a sacrifice. I didn't think I was ready to give up me. Paul did. Uh, he described exactly what that meant in Corinthians when he wrote what his experience in life since following Christ was like. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. That means 40 lashes what was estimated that would kill a person. And so they always said, well, stop just before that happens. So it's 40 less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul described his sacrifice, but it was a result of Christ living in him. None of us seek crucifixion or, or, or sacrifice, even submission. But are we ready to surrender? That's, that's the question. It's the question we ask when people are baptized right over here. Are you ready to give your life to Christ? We think about sharing the gospel with people around us we hesitate, but it's the greatest gift that we could give anyone, an explanation of, of salvation. But long before somebody hears a clear gospel, they actually see it, and more than likely, they, they see it in you. Those things that they see plant seeds in their heart that they could begin to understand God better. You show them God. Your actions, actions are probably the greatest influence on the people around you. 
And to be honest, that's kind of discouraging. Uh, how will they see God in me? Romans 8.28 said, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed, that's how they see God. The beauty is, you don't muster this up. It's not you. It's the evidence of God within you. The greatest explanation of this evidence of God to me is the fruits of the Spirit. Manifestations of the presence of God in you. You have a gift that you hardly know about. This gift, these fruits, they impact the people around you in profound ways. They impact you first and then everyone that knows you. So what are those fruits? They're in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A few years ago, I had a job at a corporate office in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. It's an incredibly stressful job. The kind of experience that I know many of you have constantly. I was a product manager, and there were 17 different functions that had responsibility or impact on the, on the product that I was launching. But none of these people reported to me. So I had to negotiate daily to get them to work on the project that I was on. Anytime somebody neglected it, I took the blame. So the pressure was, was constant. So just like many of you do, on the way to work every morning, I kind of reviewed what was my day was going to be like, how to gear up for it. And over time, I realized the best thing I could do was think through these fruits of the Spirit. And I recited it. This was like an inventory to me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I'd pick what I knew I was going to need for that day, what I didn't have enough of. Some days it was, Lord, I need patience. I know I'm going to have to deal with this person today. That's a real challenge for me. The next day it might be self-control. I'm going to be in a contentious meeting. I've got to keep my emotions at bay. And then often on the way home from work, I'd review the day and I'd think, wow, that went so much better than I thought it was going to. And just before I took credit for it myself, I'd stop and realize, no, that's what I prayed for this morning. I prayed for that patience gentleness, self-control, kindness. It was, it was really God. It, it wasn't me. So when we look at these traits, and I read them, most of us said, wow, those are not me. No, it's, it's not. 
This is the character of God that we're talking about. These are the evidences of God transforming you. For many of us, it's a slow process, painfully slow. When they're fully expressed in our lives, we are gifting them to the people around us. They've been given to us by God, so we're re-gifting them. What an impact. It's the traits of God within you. Have you ever spent time with a new believer? The transformation in their lives can be dramatic. On a recent mission trip, Kathy and I met a, a young Muslim from Algeria who had just converted to Christianity. He described to us through a translator that in a dream, a man in a glowing white robe had come to him and put his hand on his shoulder, not saying a word. He awoke from that dream absolutely determined to find out who this was and what was this about. The only place he knew to begin looking was online. And the Lord led him, I'm sure, to somebody who could explain to him that that was Jesus Christ and explain to him salvation. And this young Muslim man was accepted Christ. And you could see it in his countenance. Everything about him, he just had this aura, complete peace. And he described to us how his life was absolutely changed. Before that, he was in depression, had considered suicide, and now he just had assurance and peace in his life. That's a fruit of the Spirit. That's a transformation so dramatic that it's actually visible. So let's go deeper into these fruits and see how they might be expressed in our lives. Let's do it one by one. The first is, is love. I think it's too infrequent that people experience the pure love of God. Maybe some never do. I feel like I have a few times in my life. Uh, one time, the most dramatic was uh, before Kathy and I were married, she went to Japan as a missionary for two years. She had committed to go before, before we ever met, so I knew this was gonna happen. But we felt like our relationship could, could endure that, that God had drawn us together. And so she went off to Japan. This was a long time ago. This was before the internet. There wasn't any FaceTime or Zoom calls. There was no way to see each other. So we wrote letters constantly, every day. And about five months into this two-year time, in my mind, it began to fade. It was so frustrating. Uh, 
the first sign was it didn't have a clear image of her, her face. And then finally one day, I forgot what the sound of her voice was like. And that night, I went to the Lord and I prayed, God, I, I thought this was from you. I thought we could sustain a relationship for these two years. How in the world am I going to make it another year and a half if I don't even have an image of her? That night before I went to bed, I literally gave her back to God. I said, it's, I, I, have, I have nothing left. There's, there's no emotions in me. The next morning, I can remember it so vividly, I woke up, the sunlight was absolutely streaming into the room. It was just a glow and light, and I was absolutely head over heels in love. And I knew at that moment, I call it my stake in the ground, that was God's love, that wasn't mine. And I've always gone back to that. Difficult times, hard times. I've got that stake in the ground that God showed me his love. On the way driving here this morning, the Lord kept sharing with me another event in my life that I feel like I need to share. On a mission trip to Moldova years ago, I was asked to teach a seminary professor asked me if I would teach hermeneutics for a week. I, I didn't even know what hermeneutics were. It's basically how to teach and extract knowledge from, from Scripture. And I thought, felt, okay, I can do that. And I, had an, I only had 10 days to prepare to put a, a curriculum together. And the Lord woke me every morning at at four in the morning and just laid on my heart all these things to share with, with students when we got to Moldova. That's a, the tiny country next to the Ukraine, to the west of the Ukraine. So everything I did was through a translator. Well, by the end of that week, I had literally just fallen in love with these students that are in my classes. One of the classes was just women. And the very last day, they wanted to say goodbye, so they began one at a time to, to stand up and, and thank me. This was all, everything through a translator. And after they were finished, I thought, well, as a prayer, maybe we should sing together. And I had a song that was on my heart, um, There Is None Like You. And I began to sing it. I was going to teach it to them in English. Well, as soon as I began to, to sing it, they all knew this song. And they were singing in their language, some of them in Ukrainian, some of them in Romanian, uh, some of them could in English. And just as we really started to sing, the power went out and the room became completely dark. And and we just kept singing. And I was absolutely engulfed with 
God's love in this sense of thankfulness. When the lights came back on, I was standing there with tears streaming down my face. But God showed me uh, an incredible love that I couldn't, I couldn't have mustered. So going through the fruits, uh, number two is joy. Human joy is, is, we would say, happiness. But divine joy, that's different. Joy from the Holy Spirit is an overwhelming emotion. It's one of elation. It's contagious. It's the power to rise above the circumstances and, and see things from, from God's perspective. Joy pushes out other feelings, these human emotions. It's a sensation that I long for, but I admit it's, it's probably a rare thing, that pure joy, it's elusive. So when you experience it, savor it. Number three is peace. It's very unique to live in harmony, at peace with everybody around you. It's really not a natural human emotion. We tend to live in, in controversy. On another mission trip, the second time I went to Moldova, I was scheduled to go there with my brother, who's a, who's a pastor. His church decided they were gonna establish an orphanage in Moldova. And I offered to go with him. I knew some people there. And I would do logistics and just get us around, a place to stay, um, find a translator, those kind of things. So the night, I was all packed and ready to go. Went to bed and the phone rang and it was my brother and he said, I'm calling from the emergency room. I've had a stroke, I, I'm okay. But the doctor said, there's no way I'm getting on any plane tomorrow. So, turned off the lights, went back to bed. I was thinking to myself, Kathy's never gonna let me go. Had all these plans and arrangements. And after a few minutes laying there in the dark, she said, you know you still have to go. And, and I did. And it was the most amazing mission trip that I've ever been on. It was like an eight-day-long prayer journey, just with the Lord, prayer walking, praying for the people I was, I was encountering. It was an incredible experience. Number four is patience. Patience is what you don't have with children when they're being noisy or irritating. It's what you lose, as if we ever had it. But I'm a grandparent now. My grandchildren are seven and 11. They can be noisy, irritating, loud. But you hear people try to explain it. Grandparenting, it's, it's different. It doesn't bother me now. It's a patience that I never had before. It's an appreciation for these little lives how special they are and how blessed I am to have them. It gives me a peace and a calm that results in patience. Number five is kindness. 
act of being gracious to someone whether they deserve it or not. It's the ability not to react to another person's mood. When you're checking out at the grocery store and the clerk is obviously having a bad day, doesn't speak, maybe grunts, and you don't return that. You say thank you and mean it. You compliment them and mean it. We don't know how transformational transformational it can be just to be kind in those kind of ways. Number six is goodness. This one seemed kind of hard to explain. Um, There's always been a debate. Is there goodness in man? Well, Jesus actually answered that for us. Luke 18, he said, he was asked or called good teacher, and he responded and said, no one is good except God alone. Number seven is faithfulness. It's trusting in God even when it doesn't make sense. During crisis, after a disaster in your life, when everything in the world seems turned against you. That's when you believe in God, when you trust in him. And he is still there and he cares for you, even when it's difficult. It's not just hard, it's it's very hard. When it's beyond what you can do, it has to be the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit within us. Number eight is gentleness. The best description we have of gentleness is how we hold a newborn baby. If we had that same kind of of tenderness and care for people when we met them, can you imagine what an impact you would have? The last fruit is self-control. God left it till last, the grand finale. Uh, It's a hard one. Self-control is restraint, reserve. The ability not to speak when you shouldn't. Uh, It means suppressing your impulses. Most of us need God to help us do that. But what a great feeling to be able to say to yourself, I didn't overreact that time. I really had restraint. Then you realize that was God. That was God living in me. These fruits are the evidences of God in you. They grow within you. They can be traits completely beyond your personality, your attributes. Jesus explained it best. He said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me, nothing without him. So how are these fruits produced in you? I usually start with the verse in James that says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. It's like a promise. Remember we talked about Paul describing being crucified and my mind couldn't comprehend it. But he went on to explain it further 
in Galatians 5. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We just have to remember, it's not you. We have such a hard time realizing that. But let's imagine this, the disciples had a hard time realizing that. I'd like for us to to recreate a scene in our minds. At the Last Supper, and remember the timing of this, this was the night before Jesus, the night he was arrested and was gonna be crucified the next day. The Holy Spirit has brought the whole event back to the Apostle John and he writes about it in John 14, 15, and 16. It's absolutely incredible scripture. If you wanna be encouraged and, and gain an understanding of, of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, this was Jesus' attempt to share that with his disciples. He was trying to explain to them, this is what it's gonna be like after I'm gone. And as soon as he said he was gonna be gone, Peter, as always, jumped up and said, Lord, I defend you to the death. And Jesus responded, before dawn, you'll deny me three times. So, Imagine this, almost imagine that you're in the room hearing some of this discussion. Jesus was about to face Roman crucifixion. It's been called the most cruel form of death ever devised by mankind. And yet, Jesus didn't focus on that. He focused on his disciples, trying to explain to them what was ahead and how their lives would be completely changed. So in John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself. Then doubting Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Then very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. That's everything we're talking about. The spirit of Christ living within us. 
in this last intimate time with his disciple. Jesus didn't even talk about himself, the terrifying experience that he was about to go through. He focuses on them, what was going to be like after he was gone, a changed life, how their lives would change. They will be filled with the Holy Spirit. There will be a change in mankind. And this is the most important thing I believe I'm going to say this morning. The death of Christ providing the chance for complete forgiveness of sin will enable a new relationship between God and man. The complete forgiveness of sin that Jesus offered changed forever the relationship that we can have between God and man. Then Jesus exhaustively explains the Holy Spirit to them. He is now with you and will be in you. Everything is going to change. And then he says, on that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. This is this new relationship between God and man. The disciples will be the first. Then John 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then Jesus concludes that night with a prayer. In John 17, I pray not only for these, these are his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's, that's us. We believe in Christ through the word that his disciples shared. He is praying on his last night on earth. He's praying for us. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Because of that, the disciples were completely empowered when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Paul explains it even further in the first chapter of Ephesians. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The guarantee of our inheritance, our reassurance. I'd like to conclude 
by saying, so at this Christmas season, we should give, expecting nothing in return, although it's a little against human nature, certainly against the principles of this world. The what of these gifts that you can give and re-gift, the what of the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, He is now with you and will be in you. Pray for what you need to be transformed in your life. These are the traits of God. They're not yours. And the how, the how is surrender. It's just like Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Surrender is the key to opening the door to Christ's presence. Our constant effort, human nature, is, is to do, to work at it. But that's, that's not biblical. It's human nature. We try to earn everything. The presence of God, you can never, ever earn. You can't do enough. You can't be enough. It's something that only God can do. And you achieve it only by giving up, surrendering, submitting. Remember, I've been crucified with Christ. It's a tough concept. Accept this gift and then give it away. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have come to us and you've given us the greatest gift that's ever been given to mankind. It's, it's salvation, it's your son, and now it's this gift of your presence in our lives. Help us to submit our lives, to give to you so that you can be present and that these fruits will be seen by everyone around us, that they will sense the Spirit of God. And it's through that sensing that they might realize what it is to give a life to Christ, what it is to be saved. Help us to be able to share that in this unique way. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.